you know, as Christians, we have to understand and, and be real with where we are. That's what we have to see first, individually. And what where our mindset is and what we desire. Airing the Addisons. I think what God is really calling us back to, it's those individual personal revivals in our own lives where we're like, oh Lord, what have we done? We have minimized you. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. As the church, man, we should be on the forefront of making disciples, of indoctrination in godly things. If we don't train our kids, they will not be able to stand. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Erin Addison's. On American Family Radio, thank you so much for listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And Sweet Victor and J-Mac are on tap to help us navigate the show. Um, just check in all of my connections. It seems like we're just getting started and it seems like we already have a delay. Yeah. What's up with that? I don't know what's going on. I don't know. That's going to make things really difficult. We'll mm. see if we can't get that fixed and get that worked out. But this okay. is now the second program where we're having having that as an issue. So we'll have to see what's going on. Um, thank you so much for our, um, for listening, for joining us today. I, I just wanted to kind of jump right into content. I read um, a couple articles that I want to link up. Well, I read one article that which, which prompted me to um, search for a hard copy of some conversation I'd heard already surrounding uh, Elon Musk. I've, mm. I've heard conversations about um, this desire to uh, create a new type of human Right. And these are the kinds of things that you hear about and you think, okay, that's not real. You think that can't happen. You think it's, it's science fiction, that kind of thing. And, um, but it seems like more and more, this is becoming a thing. And I was reading an article over um, at the Christian post and it just really got me thinking about how important it is for us as Christians to, Mm -hmm. to maintain our conviction and a strong biblical worldview um, on what could be basic questions, but in today's culture, they're not basic questions. In my mind, it's a very basic question with a basic answer. Um, the question being, what does it mean to be human, mm. right? Um, the answer being to be made in the image of God, to be made in his image and likeness and have worth and value directly connected to that. Yeah. Um, to not be like animals right. or, you know, any any other type of plant form or whatever, um, but to have a unique distinction in the earth that is clearly marked by God in the way that we have been created. Mm-hmm. Um, at least I think many of us have understood that to be and as sloppy as that definition is that I just gave. Uh, by the mm-hmm. way, we are scheduled to have uh, Dr. Jeff Myers on with us tomorrow. We're going to discuss his latest book, Truth Changes Everything. And that is going to be top line. Well, there'll be some other things we'll talk about, but that's going to be really crucial to our conversation, um, getting him to unpack this whole idea that what it means to be human has Mm. kind of come into debate. What it means to be human has come into debate that we are now discussing what it is to be human. Yeah. And, and this has bearing on so many other aspects of life. We have seen the, um, the effects of this conversation, even though we didn't know that this is the conversation that was being had. Mm-hmm. We didn't know that the results of this conversation that we didn't know was happening, right, um, were being foisted upon us, that, that, that we are now navigating 
um, sort of the outflow of this question. What does it right. mean to be human? And, right. you know, can we change it? Can we do things right. the way we want? Like all of these questions. And so we're going to talk about that in detail tomorrow because um, I think that Dr. Myers, um, who heads up Summit Ministries, I think he would be perfect to to have this conversation. In fact, that's that's a part that's the ministry call that they have over there at Summit to equip students to answer these types of questions. Yeah. And so anyway, so we'll talk about that in detail tomorrow. But I do think that today could serve as a nice opening act um, in discussing what it means to be human and, and what we are attempting to do in our culture to change our humanity, if it's possible. You remember, Will the Great, mm-hmm. I think it was last week. I think it was last week where we talked about um, – Dr. Peter Peter McCullough's uh, assertion that these mRNA vaccines yes. are changing the human ju- genome. We yes. actually played the clip. Yeah, um, that's not accidental. Like right. those things are not. Oh, you know, funny thing happened on a uh, on the way to control in humanity. We had to change it. Like, that's not an accident. You know what I mean? That is intentional. And I I think it's a type of experimentation that goes beyond just, you know, trying to create the next moneymaker. I really don't think that's what it is. I think there is something more eternally sinister. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit today. I believe it is this generation's attempt and it's been made at different points in every generation, but to really corrupt humanity. And and what I mean is to distort what it means to be human, mm. what it means to be made in the image of God. You have to remember, if you go back to Genesis, and this is why it's so important to have a biblical worldview. If you go back to Genesis, of all of the things that the Lord made, and he said that those things were good, uh, it is only of man that he says he makes in his image and in his likeness, mm-hmm. right? And so if you think about that, and then you think, even the angels, it's not for angels that Christ came to give himself a ransom right. for. Right. It is for man made in God's image mm-hmm. who rebelled and needed to be redeemed, reclaimed, okay? It is for them that Jesus comes to die. And so when you think about that and you think about these angels, even though, I mean, if you read in scripture, whenever there was an angel that showed up, or even if you read in the book of the Revelation, I mean, you're talking about some scary figures, <laughs> right? Like they have to they have to say to the people that they show up, you know, for, uh, don't be afraid. Yeah. But yeah. even them and all of that mm-hmm. are not made in the image of God. That's right. You know, and That's so right. I, so if you think about that and you take a step back, when there are people who are talking about changing humanity, mm-hmm. like talking about developing technologies that will create a type of transhuman. And then the question mm-hmm. is, to what extent do we as Bible believing Christians, you know, just sit around and observe and so we're going to talk about that um, today. I'm going to use an article as a backdrop for this conversation, but ultimately it comes back to the straight edge, comes back to the word of God, that any position that we take in culture is going to come back to scripture. And hopefully that's true for all of our listeners. But before we get into that, I wanted to bring to the discussion, I think this will tie in with mm-hmm. what we're talking about because we talk about what it is to be wise and what it is to be perceptive. Mm-hmm. But you were sharing with me a few days ago that the Lord had just been burdening your heart with a specific prayer that your your um, petition of the Lord had been that you would be sagacious, that you would have sagacity. Mm-hmm. And I was so struck by this because you then went on to read to me 
the definition of sagacity. Yeah. Let's talk for a second about the very first time we heard the word <laughs> yeah. sagacity. Yeah. Yeah. We were at the Cove. The Cove. That's right. Yeah. Right. The Billy Graham camp. I mm-hmm. guess it's called a camp or the destination retreat, or retreat center. Yeah. Retreat. Yeah. And um, Pastor Owen, mm-hmm. I want to say it was Pastor Owen mm-hmm. was was preaching. He was giving a presentation. And you and I seated next to each other. He says, um, and I'm not going to remember exactly what he said, but it was <laughs> something to the effect of you need sagacity. Yeah. And then he said, some of you in this room don't even know what that is. And I was one of them. And I remember, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I remember because I'm very, look, I am, and people love this or not, I'm very comfortable about what I don't know because I love to learn. So I don't feel like I need to pretend like I know. So I, yeah. I just think that that stops you learning when you feel like you have to pretend because then you miss an opportunity to ask questions. So because I'm such an avid learner, I just I want to know. Right. I'm very comfortable like, oh, I, I hadn't heard about that. I didn't know that. Like, I, I right. you know, so I remember when he said he said some of you don't even know what that is. I remember turning to you and like nudging like, I don't know. I don't know what that is. Like, <laughs> right. what? what is, what is that? that? Sagacity. Yeah. yeah. And so so today in this first segment, before we get into, move on into the next, um, I guess, set of topics we want to get to, let's have a conversation about sagacity. Mm-hmm. So the definition that you read to me yeah. um, a few mornings ago that kind of got me thinking and, and honestly just, um, if I could say this lovingly, steal your prayer and also <laughs> asking the Lord, oh, yes, and me too, Lord, yeah. that thing that he's praying, I, I want that too, um, was this definition, and I'm going to share it with our listeners. So sagacity means quickness of perception, soundness in judgment, foresight into a situation, operating in astuteness and sharpness, having insight, wisdom, profoundness, penetration, thoughtfulness and discernment of what is going on around oneself and others. Now, everybody just let's sit with it for a second. We can <laughs> we can only sit with it max eight seconds, but let's, let's sit with it <laughs> for as long as we can. And I'm going to reread that definition. And I, and I want you to definitely take that definition into the next segment. Cause it's, you're, you're going to have to drop on that definition for the conversation that we're going to have for the remainder of the show. But let's go back to that definition, and then I'm kind of I'm gonna expand it a little bit because one of my favorite things to do with words, whenever I am, I'm reading a book, and I come up on a word that I don't know, I look that word up. This is how I build my vocabulary. I look that word up. One of my favorite things to do when looking up the definition of the word is also to look up the etymology of the word. Like, where has the word come from? How has the word made its way into the English language? How has it become a part of our lexicon, words that we use? Those things just fascinate me, right? So I'm going to reread this definition of sagacity, and then I'm going to give you sort of a, a quick little etymology, like how it came into our language, because we know that words shift in their definition over time, the way that they get used, which I find interesting as well. But here is the word sagacity. Here's the definition. Quickness of perception. Soundness in judgment. Foresight into a situation. Operating in astuteness and sharpness. Having insight, wisdom, profoundness, penetration, thoughtfulness, 
and discernment of what is going on around oneself and others. So in the 1600s, as this word was used in the English language, in the 1600s, it meant keenly perceptive, discerning. It, was, it pertained to having a keen sense of smell, hmm. which is really interesting, right? So if you said that that person is sagacious, you could have been saying that, man, nothing gets by that nose. Like yeah. that person is going to find it out. Like that person, which makes sense, yeah. right? Yeah. That's in the early 1600s. By the 1640s, and it comes from a Latin word, sagax, for, for or I, I may not even be pronouncing that correctly, but sagax, I guess. Quick perception, quick perception, right? So it's got Latin roots. But then in the 1640s, um, it began to refer to one who was skilled at discovering truths, <laughs> skilled at discovering truths, especially with regards to human nature. Mm. Now, yes, I uh, know, yeah. I, I know. And, and so everybody just let's just take a moment because here's the thing that really struck me when you were talking to me about this um, a few mornings ago. And, and I, I really, I just, as, as we stopped the conversation, you read the definition and you said, this is what I'm praying. I'm asking the Lord to give me sagacity. I'm asking the Lord to make me sagacious. And, and with that definition, I, I remember just standing there and I thought, oh, God, like this is and, and I mean that with full respect for who God is, not to call on him in vain. But truly, it turned into a prayer of my heart. Lord, I want that. Lord, I want that. And you think of the time that we live in. You think of all of the things that are coming at us, coming at our grandchildren, coming at our children, nieces and nephews. OK, if you touch the life of a child, you can see the impact of this culture on them. Yeah. And I think about what we should be crying out for. There are so many things. There are so many things that we must cry out for to God. Among those things, what I would like to say is that may we also cry out for sagacity. Mm -hmm. May we ask the Lord to make us sagacious. Those who are perceptive, those who are discerning, those who can discover truth, truth, and I'm going to say truth with a capital T those who are quick of perception sound in judgment those who would have foresight into a situation to look at what is happening but to be able to go beyond what is happening and say okay I see where this is ultimately going right to have wisdom and sagacity may that be the cry of our heart in this hour and may the Lord by his spirit respond because we need it yeah. We need it. Amen. Aaron the Addisons, we'll take the break and we'll be right back. There is more to see than with my eyes. But fear sometimes can leave me paralyzed. I realize that I'm not in control. Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. We appreciate you listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And that's Tori Kelly with Soul's Anthem. It is Will. 
Well, there goes that delay again. It seemed <laughs> to have worked itself out, but now it's made a, a reappearance. Okay, so one point of correction it is, I want to say doctor. Yeah. If not, yeah. certainly Pastor Richard Owen Roberts, uh, who used the word sagacity. This was almost seven years ago, I want to say. Uh, we were at the Cove, um, and he was speaking in one of the sessions and yeah. he was talking about how we need sagacity. And then he re- he remarked and he was right. He said, I bet some of you in this room don't even know that word. Very true. Um, <laughs> I didn't know it. Uh, you didn't know it. No. We did look it up. I think he may have gone on to kind of loosely define it. But anyway, recently you've been praying that the Lord would um, give you sagacity, yes. that he would make you sagacious. Been praying for that. And uh, and so I think in light of what we are looking at in our culture, it certainly is uh, necessary to have this wisdom, even as he taught that day. And I can't remember all that he said, but I remember not wanting him to stop talking. <laughs> I remember just this sort of um, the, the words just were, were so piercing. You had an opportunity. This is interesting. Fun fact. You had an opportunity yeah. uh, for one of American Family Studios productions to go to his home and interview yes. him. Yes. Do I remember correctly that you commented on the number of books that he had? Yes. Is that did yeah. you did he, he is this the guy who. OK. Yes. I yes. Can't remember. He had uh, actual he had a library in his house it was like in the bottom area it was it was a legit library like books upon books like with one of those ladders that you climb on and slide across yes. just kidding. it was a, no no Probably yes yes it was a library oh, yeah. <laughs> he had books and I, yeah, yeah and it was it was a lot i hadn't ever seen i hadn't ever seen um books like that in a home like the bottom area was actually like a library for real like you can go in and you can read books and there it was it was amazing. The thing that stuck out to me That's too amazing. was that he lived right next door to some train tracks, and this is the first time I uh, slept <laughs> in a place where it was like that close. And so, like almost like every few like minutes, you would hear ding 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 ding, ding and then you hear this train come <laughs> like, all night. I was like, man, people get That's used amazing. to this. But anyway, yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. Richard Owen Roberts. Yeah. Richard Owen Roberts. Still alive. Some of our listeners should probably go in and yes. Yes. Do you know, do you know about how old he is? Well, when I looked, when I looked him up, it says 91. So. Wow. Wow. Praise God. That's amazing. Some of our listeners should go look him up and, um, and learn a little bit more about him and his contribution to the body of Christ. Uh, but his contribution to our lives personally, sagacity, sagacity. <laughs> and I would imagine that if you've got that many books, that probably has contributed to um, your sagacity, yeah. I, I would say. <laughs> right. And the Lord, of course. But I mean, <laughs> leaders are readers. We read. Um, all right. So this story from the Christian Post, moving on. Um, is transhumanism compatible with Christianity? Is transhumanism compatible with Christianity? I have to say, um, when I first saw this headline, I just kept scrolling. Mm. Like, I just have to say. And I, I initially, when I saw the headline, I was just like, you know. But for some reason, I went back to it. And, and I thought, what? It's, you know, it's at the Christian Post. So what, like, what's the deal? And I was so glad that I read it because... There's so much that we see going on. And then when you hear people, certain people in their own words, what their aims are, I think it allows for you to be more sagacious. 
It allows for you to be more vigilant, right? And observing what's going on in culture. Mm. So here is the article. It's written by a woman named Hadea Miramati, I think is how you say her name. And she's a former Muslim who came to faith in Christ and now um, exists to make much of Jesus and to Mm. tell the truth about who he is in culture. And so I, I was really fascinated in just reading this piece here. Um, but this is the article, and I'll just jump right into it, and, and you'll hear why this is so interesting. Um, last week, 2,700 political and civil society leaders from 130 countries, including 52 heads of state, gathered in Davos for the annual World Economic Forum. Led by the infamous Klaus Schwab, the WEF agenda is pushing several controversial initiatives. No surprise there. From mandatory vaccine passports and universal surveillance to absolute control over the free flow of information. Ultimately, their solution for the world in crisis is to replace human scale participation with a more manageable, edible, editable, sorry, it's not edible. (laughs) editable (laughs) able to be edited okay which is what i said when i read it myself able to be edited version of future humanity all right sorry guys from their point of view from their point of view humanity is a problem that can finally be solved with innovative technology like biometric implants and personal avatars that would dominate our interaction with the world Now, listen to this. Their goals are best understood in their own words. Dr. Yuval Noah Harari, Schwab's top advisor, put it this way, quote, We are no longer mysterious souls. Humans are now hackable animals, Mm. replacing evolution by natural selection with intelligent design. Not the intelligent design of some God above the clouds, but the intelligent design of our clouds, the IBM cloud, the Mm. Microsoft clouds. These are the new driving forces of evolution. The idea that humans are spiritual beings having free will is over. Through transhumanism, we become the gods. Mm. It's a religion coming from Silicon Valley, Mm. end quote. Mm. Yep, that's the main thrust. Want to be God. Like, that's the main thrust. Okay. It, that's yeah, exactly yeah. it. Good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So, so after reading that quote and thinking through some of the things that we have seen just in culture and, and, right. and those of us who are watching the headlines and, you know, listening to the other experts on these topics, there are people who are paying close attention to what's coming from some of the innovators. And and even as I was reading this and, and preparing to talk about this on the air, I was reminded of some um, someone having referenced um, Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. And I want to say that it was it was an interview that Jan Markell had with someone. And it was talking about this this idea that there are people who really believe that you can create a different type of human. Now, I got to just be honest with you, 100 percent. When I hear things like that, I think, come on. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, come on. Humans are humans and machines are machines, right? But as I stop and just you really think about it and you process, you think about some of the other information that you have and you put all of that stuff together, it begins to take shape and you begin to see a picture 
where Satan is using the tools at his disposal in this generation, as he has done in every generation since Adam, Mm -hmm. to to create the greatest impact of rebellion against God. That's right. So if in 20 in a 21st century world, we have access to all sorts of technological advances, right? We have the ability to do all sorts of things. You have to understand that to the destroyer, these things become tools for massive impact in rebellion against God. This is what he has always done with the tools that have been at his disposal in every generation, That's right. what, whatever those tools are. So you think back to Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. Mm-hmm. So, so those tools were at his disposal. What was the aim? Rebellion against God. Mm-hmm. But there's something else that I think is really worth looking at here. And and probably, I, here's what I want to do. I want to read a little bit more from... Uh, this Christian Post article, and then I want to share something um, from a Reuters article that I found from the end of last year where Elon Musk was talking about his his company. Um, I want to say it's Neuralink. Mm-hmm. I want to say that's the name of the company. I think it's Neuralink. Um, being just a little bit behind schedule, okay, a little bit behind schedule uh, in trying to implant chips into the human brain. Right. But fully expecting that, and this this article is from December of last year, but fully expecting in the next six months that they would receive like FDA approval and be able to implant computer chips in the human brain. Now, what is interesting about this potential development is that it's initially being presented as something that's going to be good for people who are suffering. Yeah. In fact, let's do this. Let's go ahead and play the clip, because I think that our listeners really need to hear Elon Musk in his own words. This is a this is a news report here that's talking about what Elon Musk seeks to do. And you'll hear spliced in here Elon Musk's own voice talking about what his new technology will do. Here we go. He's not actually using a keyboard. He's moving the cursor with his mind. At Elon Musk's much-awaited show-and-tell event for his brain implant company Neuralink, the world's richest person shared video of a monkey typing telepathically as he seeks to begin clinical trials for a wireless brain chip in human beings. The monkeys actually enjoy doing the demos because they and, and they get the banana smoothie and it's kind of a fun game. The billionaire said he expects approval from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration to conduct human trials in six months after the company missed earlier timelines set by him. We've been working hard to uh, be ready for our first human, and obviously we want to be extremely careful uh, and certain that, that it will work well before putting a device in a human. Musk has also set the bar high, saying the brain chip could help disabled patients to move and communicate again, and that it would also aim to restore vision to people who were born blind. Yeah, even if they've never seen before, we're confident that they could they could see. The Tesla CEO, who also runs rocket company SpaceX and social media platform Twitter, is known for lofty goals such as colonizing Mars, As for Neuralink, Musk said he wants to develop a chip that would allow the brain to control complex electronic devices and eventually allow people with paralysis to regain motor function. I mean, as miraculous as it may sound, uh, we're confident that it is possible to restore full body functionality to someone who has a severed spinal cord. So when you hear it, 
it sounds like this is a contribution that we are making to society, but the ultimate goal is to make a superhuman, right? Like the, the ultimate goal is to make a creature that transcends humanity. So all of the things that we feel like are undesirable and, you know, just being your quote unquote basic human, we can eliminate those things. But the immediate presentation, which I think is sort of the draw, is that it's going to meet some of our needs, right? Like you've got people who've, who are not able to walk, or they, they've never seen before. So now all of a sudden we can restore vision. It's amazing that so much of what this all has in common is that we get to be God. We get to do whatever we want. We get to stand in the place of God and we get to do those things that we have long felt we should have control over. Right. I want to go back to this Christian Post article. And then, of course, we're going to turn to scripture and we'll open the phone lines up in the next segment. Get your take on this. Um, Back to the Christian Post article. Ray Kurzweil, a heavyweight at the Davos crowd um, who heads up engineering at Google, predicted that humans would be transformed into, listen to this, spiritual machines because they will resurrect our minds onto supercomputers, potentially extending our lifespan indefinitely. Now, pause for a second. Listen to what the desire is. Right. Right? Come to Christ. Come to Jesus. Like all of the things that you're seeking, all of the things that you're craving. Now you're craving these things and you desire these things apart from God because you want to be him. Right? Humble yourself, submit your will to his and all of these things that you're craving, which is is expressed here, right, are available to you in Jesus Christ. But at the same time, what's not appealing about that, the submission of wills, the yielding, the laying down of one's own God complex, believing that you are God and submitting yourself to the one and only sovereign God. Okay, Mm. back to this article. He predicted that technological advances could make our bodies incorruptible. Are scriptures popping in your mind right <laughs> yes. now? Like yes. you, 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 what you desire, you can have in Christ. Amen. You, you want to be incorruptible. Okay. So, so there is one who paid a penalty so that you could be so, so that you could have immortality. That's, that's what you desire, but you cannot be bothered with, Submission to the sovereign. Mm. All right. Back to the article. Could make our bodies incorruptible, preventing diseases and decay. People would acquire knowledge by uploading it to their brains stored on a supercomputer. Mm. Nanotechnology would allow us to remake Earth into a paradise. Whoa. I know. Let me me tell you. (laughs) But they want all of this without God. Mm. They want all of this without God. Now, look, I know that there are so many people who, like me, um, well, let me, let me finish up this, this from um, Ray Kurzweil, this engineer at Google, okay, talking about what they desire to do, this mashing up of humans and computers, okay? Let me just finish this up here. So nanotechnology, back to the article, nanotechnology would allow us to remake Earth into a paradise and expand into space to inhabit other planets. This hybrid human creature would have limitless power. Mm. This hybrid human creature would have limitless power. Now, all of these things, give or take the way they're being expressed here, they're expressed differently in scripture. These desires seem to present to us man's core desire, right? But we are seeing it expressed 
by a corrupted person. You, you are seeing it descript, uh, described by one who is in his fallen state operating in that capacity. Mm. All right, we got to grab the break. We'll come back. We'll stay right here. Aaron the Addison's American Family Radio. Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. I'm Miki. And I'm Will, and that's Shy Lynn with Our God is in the Heavens. According to the World Economic Forum, the World Economic Forum, the central premise of transhumanism then is that biological evolution will eventually be taken taken by advances in, I'm sorry, be overtaken by advances in genetic, wearable, and implantable technologies that artificially expedite the evolutionary process. The transhumanist declaration asserts, quote, we favor morphological freedom. The right to modify and enhance one's body, cognition, and emotions, end quote. Wow. We favor morphological freedom. Morphological freedom. <laughs> morphological freedom. You know, it's, look, I'm telling you, if you read scripture, and I know this is going to sound very elementary that I'm just going to go to the Bible and see where we have seen the, the, the corruption of man, where we have seen the various manifestations of that corruption Ultimately, it is summarized in rebellion. That's that is what it is. It is absolutely rebellion. And I think it's interesting when you look at the scriptures, you know, I don't know what. What kind of technology exists today, right, that would legitimately create a different type of human? I, I don't I don't know that. And, I'm, and so I don't want people to hear me saying that this is what is happening. What I am saying to you is this is what people desire to see happen. I don't know how much of that is possible, but I do know that when I read scripture and I look at Genesis chapter six, I see a type of corruption of humanity that led to the, to the Lord God saying, I'm grieved that I've made man. Mm. And I see a type of corruption in humanity that causes the Lord almost to like ball it up and start over again is what it looks like. Save eight people. Okay, and so what happens there now, look, guys, there's a lot of speculation over what happens in Genesis chapter six. I'm not going to argue with people over that. That's fine. You you can have your speculation over that. What I am going to do is I'm going to read it, though. And what I am going to point out is that there was something that happened where as a result of this interaction, you had a different kind of people in the land. A different kind of people in the land. And the Lord was like. Nah, no. So in Genesis chapter six, in Gen- because the question is, what's so bad about having a different type of human? Like, why, why, why would people be up in arms? Like, what? Because only human humans are humans. Only those who are made in the image of God are made in the image of God. Because God had a unique design and he said it was very good. Like there was it wasn't like a mm, it's OK could use some computers. No, it, it was good. What God did was good. Mm. 
And this is a specific person that is made in the image of God, bearing not only his image, but also his likeness. And there's more to that than the, 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 the shell of the person that you see. It is also the mind and the will and the emotions. It's the personality of the person. It's the soul of the person. And so when you have people who are wicked in their desires, thinking of ways that they can change or alter that, then yes, that's a problem. And that is that should be something I believe biblically that Christians should stand against. Remember, the question is, what does it mean to be human? But here we are. We have this episode in Genesis chapter six. Now it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. Then the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever because he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old men of renown. Now look, and who, who, who are these? The sons of God, who, who are these? There's a lot of speculation that can happen. There's, I, I think one of my favorite things to do in scripture is to cross reference. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's another um, description of the sons of men used in the Bible that would give some kind of indication as to who these, these creatures were that came down and saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful and went into them. Everybody biblically knows what that means. And so then you have these new people that are being created as a result of this. In Job chapter two, the Bible says, again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. So here we have the same description that is being used in this sort of this, this, this meeting, this, this gathering of God's created beings. They are not humans. You, you could say they are angels. There are some beings that God has created that there is an assembly. There is a gathering that is happening and Satan comes with them. So if you rewind back to Genesis chapter six and you see that the sons of God looked and saw that the sons of men or the daughters of men were beautiful and went into them. And you have these new creatures that are, are these new humans that are made these, these remarkable type beings. But at the same time in Genesis chapter six, you read of a great corrupting of humanity after this. It is after this point when you've got this new type of human that is on the earth. The Bible goes on in verse five. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Verse six, the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the, of the land from man to animals, to creeping things, to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. Mm. But Noah, verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, what am I saying? The question is, 888-589-8840. Open the phone lines. 888-589-8840.
what does it mean to be human? Do humans get to have some sort of, (laughs) this is a new term for me, but I'm going to use it because they used it, morphological freedom. Morphological freedom, Mm. where you can morph into whatever you want to be. Remember, this is the rise of the self that Dr. Truman talks about. This is the, we can be whatever we want. So we can be a highly computerized species, another, a different type of human, which is why they're calling it transhuman. And I got to tell you, look, I am very tempted just in my, my own sort of busyness, okay? My own busyness really tempts me to dismiss this. Like my own busyness is just like, oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> right. But then I'm reminded of scripture when I read these articles. See, this is why we need sagacity. This is why we need to be sagacious as we navigate the culture. We need this wisdom. We need this foresight. We need the ability to look and see, okay, wait, have we seen something like this before? At the very least, have we seen the attempt of this type of behavior before? Did God judge it? Was God saying something about these people? Was God, what, what was God doing in response to this, this, this corrupting of humanity? The bottom line is this. Man does not exist as the sovereign. Only God does. Mm. Only God is sovereign over humanity. But in all of this transhumanism talk, and even what Elon Musk is talking about, and I know a lot of people, there was rejoicing and dancing in the streets <laughs> that he took over, over Twitter. And, and I understand that. You know, I, I got that totally. But, but, <laughs> but he also wants to make a special type of human. And, and certainly it would start out with now you have the ability to see and, and, and you have the ability to walk where you lost your, your ability to walk. And we would say, OK, these technological advances, we would say they're good. But my, my question is, at what point, like how far can technology go before it becomes an affront to God's creation, to God's sovereignty? So there's there's one thing to have, you know, um, and uh, a hearing aid put in your ear. So that's technology. But you're not becoming one with that hearing aid. You're using technology. You're not becoming the technology. Now, see, that, you understand that that goes to a question that I was talking about uh, that I sent you that that's in the chat. Somewhat, somebody was saying, what is the difference between uh, a scientist implanting a chip and playing God and a scientist implanting a, a fertilized egg in the womb to relieve uh, the suffering? And then they, they went on to say that it's just a lack of faith. But what we're talking about is trying to create a whole another human uh, uh, person, a being like is is different from because you would say, what's the difference between, you know, a scientist or a doctor uh, performing a a heart transplant or a kidney transplant? You know, like there are certain things that we look at and we're like, yes, great. But this is on a different level, I believe. This is something... It's not changing the humanity of the person. Exactly. It's not... Like, I will tell you, I think I think that it... This is my opinion. I think it is unethical. I think that it is morally wrong to take the heart of a pig and put it inside a human person. Right. That, that to me, is not the best use of technology. That, that's my opinion. I, I, I suppose the person who would see himself or herself as benefiting from that would say... Sit down, Miki. And, and I would say, but you're, but you're a human. You have a human heart. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Mm-hmm. Animals are animals. They don't have the same distinction that we as humans have. Right. So what is the difference here? The difference is not 
in the use of technology, as we talk about technological advances, mm-hmm. what we are talking about in transhumanism is to, is creating a different type of human, a person that's not exactly human, but not exactly computer, like mm-hmm. a superhuman. Mm-hmm. Right. And and it wouldn't be so concerning if we didn't already have doctors telling us that we already see evidence for the human genome being changed mm. because of things that are being taken into the body. So you couple that with the desires here and it almost makes you wonder if we're not creating, you know, a society where you have people who whose, you know, ability to resist is just weakened. Yeah. So now you're just you're open to experimentation because you've got all these ales and you'll be so desperate. You wouldn't even care where it came from. You wouldn't care if it's ethical or not. You just want to be healthy. You just you just and some people without Christ just want to live forever. Mm. Mm. This is the kind of society I feel like we are in right now. Mm -hmm. And this is why in this hour we must be sagacious. All right. We'll go to the phone lines. 888-589-589. 8840 Will the Great, where do we go first? Let's go to Michael in Nebraska. Hi, Michael. Hello. Yeah. Um good to good to finally get through to you guys. Uh really love your show. Um and then the, the topic that you're talking about right now is uh is kind of been interesting to me. And uh I think you're right on with where you think that this is going. Um, and I believe that um, some of these the things that you brought up about the Nephilim and the mighty men of old, that mighty men of renown from uh, Genesis 6 and, um, and onward, uh, has, has a lot to do with this. Because my question, and this is a question for you guys, but I'm kind of curious what you think. Can these people be saved? Oh, now, how much... Man. How much how much human is there left? And you know, you know, we're talking about like sci-fi, like the Borg or something. Yeah. You know, right. How much right. human is there left to be human? Hmm. Oh man, I I don't, Michael. I brother, thank you so much for calling in. I don't know exactly how to answer that question <laughs> because I I don't know the extent of the damage that would be done in, in the wicked desires of men, which by the way is fueled by Satan. It's Mm -hmm. fueled by Satan. I do believe that when we look at Genesis six, I, I, it's hard to ignore the, the mixing of the humans with these sons of God with sort of like from that point on, it's like, you know what? No, no, (laughs) this man and his family and 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 that's it and i think it's also it's even connected to the others who are on the earth who don't even have the ability to come to the ark like mm. they they lack even the ability to come to the place that will be their redemption i i think there is something about them in their makeup and i don't know i i don't have all the answers to that but i i think the point that you're making is well stated the question that you're asking which i think is a question that makes a point. Jesus came to save humanity. Those who are made in the image of God, it is with us that God has to do business, right? We are the ones who transgressed. He became like us, Jesus did, to save us from our sin. Jesus became like us. He was incarnate. Jesus, the son of God, became like us, not some Nephilim half- angeloid 
okay? Not some transhuman computerized something, not some part animal something. No, no, no. Mm-mm. Y'all know we just, you just celebrated Christmas, okay? You know, you know how we came. You, you understand it. Why? Because the beef, the transgression is man's transgression against God. So it is into this family that Jesus, the son of God will come so that he can redeem us. He can pay the penalty that we should be paying. All right. We're out of time until tomorrow. Lord willing. God bless.